Welcome, everybody, to a Wednesday night edition of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio Studio Mobile Version. I'm your host, John Harris, alongside the voice of the Texans, Mark Vandermeer. Mark, good evening. Happy Miracles to you. I think Miracles. I think that's Espanol. Espanol yeah. class. So I had Mrs. Bereda. Uh, I don't want to brag, but uh, I got a lot of puntos in that class. And when you didn't do well, she said, menos puntos, menos puntos, Marcos. <laughs> and that was not good. I didn't like menos puntos. I liked puntos. Well, I'm going to put a good friend of ours on blast because I took Spanish, too, uh, with someone that is very well known in the Houston area from a radio perspective. And he sat behind me. And on the day, the last final that we took in Spanish 2 together, uh, our teacher, Miss Elfson, was going through the grades, and she was going, uh, you know, Billy made this, and uh, Sally made this, and, oh, Johnny got a 95, and not surprising. And then she goes, and insert name here, redacted. Uh, he got a 75, and he cheated. <laughs> so, yeah, but he knows Spanish better than I do um, at that point. So, anyhow, we'll leave that one alone. we got Drew Doherty coming along in our next segment for our in the lab podcast. And Mark, one of the things that we talked about in our in the lab podcast was how brilliant Nick Casario danced in the press conference to not give us any hints or anything at all to what his plan and he and his staff's plan will be Friday when they make presumably Friday when they make their first pick. I told Drew, I said, you know what? I would have been disappointed had he gone the other way and he would have slipped and given us something. But he was masterful in answering the questions without giving anything away in his press conference and to us in the one-on-one we played on Monday night. Look, he's great at that, and all GMs should be, right? I still feel like I got some good information from him. True. And I think that the numerous conversations you and I have had with him reveal plenty about – getting intel on players about his willingness to move up and down the board. Look, maybe he ends up with no trades, but Johnny, based on the volume, how do we do it? Volume based on the volume of acquisitions. I think Nick is going to do some moving and shaking on draft weekend. So we'll see how it goes. I don't know what it's going to look like, but I expect it. I expect him to be moving up and down the board a little bit at the very least. No doubt. I think one of the things that I'm most interested in Mark, and I want to get your thoughts. I said this, on our podcast, you'll hear this in the next segment. In talking about Nick, we'll start to see his trends. And if if any develop, and, and one of the things that Drew brought up I thought was great was when Rick Smith would go to the, the podium for his pre-draft, he didn't give much either. But the one thing that we knew with Rick, and he even started just acknowledging it, you can't have enough corners. And he would say that. He was like, yeah, I'm going to draft a corner. Like, he felt comfortable saying that. And then each draft, he would go ahead and – and draft a corner. Um, that was sort of that was his trend, if, if there was one. And so we start to see it with with Nick uh, coming up in nine, eight days, nine days when he makes that first pick. And you're not going to be able to make much out of one pick, but when they're all in the books, all eight or nine or ten, whatever it ends up being at the end of the day, you'll start to look at and go, okay, I can start to see what he's looking for in rookie draft picks. So I'm I'm curious to see. That and looking forward to that, obviously, uh, amongst the three days that we have the NFL draft coming up soon. Well, something came up on the morning show, and Seth was talking about it, about drafting quarterbacks, Johnny. And 
you know, Rick didn't draft too many quarterbacks. Right. Right. And I just think that, and I understand why once you invest in what they did to get Matt Schaub, they spent yes. two twos and flipped ones to get Matt, Matt Schaub away from the Atlanta Falcons. And he was their guy. And Rosenfels was there before he was on the roster before as an, un, well, not undrafted free agent. He was a, a free agent from the Miami yeah. Dolphins. And I think they felt like they had their quarterback situation locked down. Eventually they got Rex Grossman and Matt Liner. The, the list goes on and on. Dan Orlovsky. I still feel like drafting quarterbacks, though, does give you some value to work with. And hey, see, Charlie Casley like drafting <laughs> quarterbacks. We talked about that with Dave Ragon. We talked about that with Drew Henson. See, yeah. I got something for Drew Henson, didn't I? Uh, he didn't really get much out of Dave Ragon at the time. We loved Dave, but it just didn't work out as a player. Uh, but I would not be surprised to see them take a quarterback at some point. And I would expect it to be later, not earlier. I know McLean had Kellen Mond in his mock draft in the third round. They asked McLean. We could talk to John about yeah. this tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. uh, why'd you draft Kellen Mond as opposed to some of those I, other guys? And, I heard it. Oh, yeah. I like, I like Aggies. Uh, he <laughs> likes clicks too. No, he didn't do it for <laughs> clickbait, but you yeah. know, he knows that you know, Mond is definitely going to turn some heads. Why did I pick Sam Ellinger in my Vandermock draft? You know, preseason game excitement, baby. And I like clicks as well, uh, but there we'll you go. At least you're being, at least you're being honest about it. I'm okay with that. You're being honest about it. That's good. That's very good. All right. Are you ready for some NFL draft eh, with a Texan slant either or? Yes. Okay. All right. One, two, three, four, five. Six. I got seven of them. We'll see how many we can get in. Okay. All right. I call this one the one that got away. The one that got away the year the Texans last time they had the number one overall pick. <laughs> So you take Clowney out of the equation and you get to pick either Aaron Donald or any other player in the 2014 draft, which I'll remind you included OBJ, Mike Evans, Taylor Luan, Jake Matthews, etc. You take an Aaron Donald or the field. Uh, I'm taking Aaron Donald, right? All right. And, I just think that's obvious, but you know, Clowney, all right. You last time you had the number one pick in the draft is Jadeveon Clowney and he's so tantalizing Johnny. Yes. You cannot fault anyone. I remember. And he was the right pick at Clowney. the time. He was the right pick at the time. I don't think there's any question. He was yeah, the right. pick. I really, I think it's a better question for the top of the second round of that draft. When he took Xavier Suofilo, look, who's a good player and still around. And I know he's contributed and everything like that, but Ooh, I know where you're going with this. I would have taken Jimmy Garoppolo right then. The world... Okay, so here's one. That means okay. thought one. Okay. Right. Top pick of the second round. Mm -hmm. Either Jimmy Garoppolo or Derek Carr. Not Derek. Uh, look, I love Derek, and maybe Derek would be the right pick. I don't know. But Derek here in Houston at the time would have been a tougher yeah. sell. We sure. all know Good that. Point. You know, yeah. maybe if Derek came here later in his career – you know, Derek somehow is a free agent now and you need a quarterback and you bring Derek Carr in. I think it's a different deal, obviously, than the heat being so on you in 2014, coming off a two and 14 campaign in 2013 and Kubiak gets fired and all of that. And you got to make us, you got to get a quarterback. Now, top of the second round though, Johnny is not like top of the first round. Clearly it's not like anywhere in the first round. It's not the same amount of pressure. If you took Garoppolo then and flamed out with the pick, the world would have understood. 
Hey, you took a chance with Jimmy Garoppolo. It didn't work out. Who else did work out at quarterback past the second round of that draft, right? At the time, as we all remember, everyone wanted Bridgewater once he started to drop. And we were thinking, hey, you're going to get him with the next pick. And then obviously Minnesota came up and stole him away from who was it? Seattle at the time. They made the deal with him, with them to get him. Uh, And Manziel even at the time, oh, you got to take Johnny Manziel. I think somebody put up a billboard about that. Uh, No further comment on that. But uh, I'll go back to Clowney. We talked about Clowney versus Mario last night in another one of these games. Clowney, as a coach, as a talent evaluator, you can say it better than anybody, but you're looking at this physical freak. I've got to have this player. I have to have him. Khalil Mack at the time. Look, I know Mack has had some really good years. How is that really working out for you? Right. Yeah. It could work out great, but ultimately the Raiders decided he wasn't their guy. I know they got a lot for him. Anyway, I'm rambling now, Johnny, but I think Clowney was the right pick. And at the top of the second, I would have done something else. I got you. Aaron Donald with JJ Watt would have been fun to watch. Though. Oh my gosh. Good Lord. Okay. Here we go. The more pleasant Texans surprise out of the 2011 draft, either TJ Yates or Derek Newton. <sighs> That's a good one. I think Newton was a great surprise because Newton turned into a real solid right tackle for you right. as a seventh round draft choice. And at first they were breaking him in as that sixth man, O-lineman, that guy yeah. who comes in in blocking situations and, you know, just get his feet wet. You're dealing with a really good line at the time. Then eventually he becomes the starter. Eric Winston's time in Houston is done. And Newton is real solid until the double knee injury situation that <sighs> just knocked him out. I just think that was a tremendous pick. Now, yeah, it's hard to measure quarterbacks versus anything else. And with TJ Yates, gosh, Johnny, I can't go against TJ. TJ Yates is a Texans legend. And we use the word legend to describe what used to be ambassadors here. I know it has a certain label, but he really is a legend. He's a folk hero, a legend. He won a playoff game. He won the Monday nighter in Cincinnati against the undefeated Bengals. We know all the things he did. I love him and his place in the history of this franchise, TJ. I think after that draft, you could have convinced me Derek Newton would have become a player in a couple of years. I never would have thought TJ Yates is getting on a field. Just because Schaub and the way Schaub was playing. You had Liner. Just, Liner. Yeah. yeah, even Matt Liner was there. Okay. No, but here's the thing. When Schaub goes down, when and Schaub, by the way, is going to be on Sports Radio 610 Thursday morning, I believe, uh, doing an appearance, so that's going to be cool. Uh, when Schaub goes down in 2011 and Liner comes in, you're thinking, all right, Liner, I know it didn't work out in Arizona, but he's Matt Liner. And maybe right. it does work out ultimately. Maybe the light goes on. Yep. He's Matt Liner. Maybe he's Rich Cannon. Maybe he's somebody like that. You know, you never know. It's Matt Liner. Look, the college pedigree, all of it. And he gets hurt in less than a half of football before Yates has to come in. Yates shocked the world, really, by playing real solid ball, threw for 300 in the clincher against the Bengals. I know we're doing the big 53 special on that. That's coming out soon. So, uh, TJ, it is. Okay. You get the next three are called do it over again. (laughs) Well, I got a few. Now, in 2015, Kevin Johnson was drafted, and I think Kevin was on his way to being a very, very good corner before the foot injury against the Colts, and then he just never able to get healthy again. So, do it over again, 2015 style. Either Marcus Peters or Byron Jones both turned into Pro Bowl corners. Which way are you going? 
Jeez, Marcus Jimmy Peters, a hit right away, but then he kind of dipped and came back. Byron Jones yeah. kind of ascended each and every year to the point where he was the highest free agent in 2020 going to the Dolphins. Look, you know that it's these are tough because we know Kevin and we met his family and his sister yes. was a Ravens cheerleader. We know the whole story. And gosh, the guy, you know, he looked like Bruno Mars a little bit. Uh, we, <laughs> yeah. we, we really loved him. I mean, Kevin was a lot of fun. He's great. Well, with our jobs, right? With just, you know, doing interviews and content pieces and everything. Uh, but look, the answer is just pick one. I'll throw a dart, you know, I mean. Whoever gets it gets closer to, I'd say Jones probably. Yeah. Uh, but it, it's really, it's too bad that it didn't work out with Kevin Johnson, who's still in the league. Okay. Yeah. So Kevin's still playing. He's got that talent. There's no doubt about it. But uh, it just wasn't the first round. You know, Rick Smith had such great success with first round picks. That's really not one of them. And he didn't have too many that didn't work out. I know Amobi would be considered another, but I think Amobi was in a unique situation himself. And uh, very young when he came into the league. So we don't have to get into his story. But, um, you know, that, that was too bad it didn't work out with Kevin. All right, dude, over again, mm-hmm. 2006. However, Mario Williams is out of the equation. Mm-hmm. Either Vince <laughs> or Reggie. Vince. Give me Vince. Okay. I'll tell you why. So, look, you might not. You know, we all, I, I don't know about we all, but all right, sometimes you have a college girlfriend and you have a really great time, but mm-hmm. it ultimately is not your life partner, right? Or maybe right. in your early 20s or whatever. Uh, doesn't mean they weren't really great for you at the time. I think the success or whatever you want to call it that the Titans had with Vince, and I know they had that, you know, incident where he couldn't be found that one night. Yeah, yeah. Let's just put it, just put it on the field here, Johnny. You did go to the playoffs with Vince Young. Year two, I think the first yep. year they were eight and eight. Year two, they go 10 and six, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Vince Young never lost to the Texans as a starter. What is it? I think it's three starts, maybe. <laughs> uh, you know, he had that 49-yard run in overtime or 39-yard run in overtime in 2006. Look, I would have loved to have that brief affair with whatever Vince was able to do with the Texans uh, if, you, if you say, I can't have Mario, I don't know if Reggie Bush is going to work out overall. You know, in fact, he yeah. wouldn't probably, but it, maybe in the Kubiak running system, he would have been great. I don't know. Um, and clearly, ultimately, Kubiak wasn't going to be happy with David Carr anyway, as we saw. Right. So right. I would have picked I would pick Vince right there just to see what would have happened um, that day that he ran for 39 yards and overtime. Oh. The game, I thought, oh, did we make a big mistake here? Because. You know, is he going to win 10 Super Bowls with the Titans now? Obviously, it didn't work out there in Philadelphia, but uh, it would have been interesting for a while. Yeah, no doubt. Okay, last one. Mm -hmm. You get Andre Johnson in the 2003 draft. Mm -hmm. And for some reason that you'll never know, the New York Jets had pick number four, took Dwayne Robertson, defense tackle from Kentucky. For some reason... They just traded that pick to you, to you, Mark Vandermeer, not to Texas, to you. You get to pick right after Andre Johnson, and you get either Troy Palomalu or Terrell Suggs. Who joined Andre Johnson? Which would you take? Suggs. I mean, Palomalu was great and really a game changer and a season changer. But Johnny Suggs is great, too. And I think more consistent. And I, I don't have the numbers in front of me. Healthier, longer, all of it. 
The yeah. hair might not be quite as good, <laughs> but no. it's Terrell sucks. And I remember that, that he was one of the rumored possibilities for the Texans because he got after the quarterback and, mm-hmm. you know, you were losing Jeff Posey. I always have to like hit the brakes before I say Posey is <laughs> a James is a James. Jeff Posey <laughs> or Devere to lead the team year one. What's that? Yeah. Or Devere Posey. You know, make sure you or don't Devere, say that. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Devere Posey. I don't even think of that in that equation, but you're absolutely right. Devere Posey CFL star. So you were taking Terrell Suggs with Andre Johnson. Now what yeah. I would have gone, I would have gone with Troy. Just I- I'm with you. Troy was banged up at times. But, man, we looked so long with this organization for that game-changing safety that could do many things. And, obviously, it's, you know, Justin Reed is not Troy Palomalu, but he's a guy you look at and say, okay, this guy's got promise. This is what we've wanted at that position for a long time. Troy Palomalu, right behind Andre Johnson, boy, that would have that been nice. Of course, you know, it wasn't going to happen. The, Jet, the Jets weren't just about to give you picks just out of thin air, but I just thought it was fun to look and go, wow. There were some players drafted after Andre. You wouldn't have taken any of them over Andre. None of them. Right. But I think you would look at Troy Palomalu and Terrell Suggs and go, man, what if you had to pick one of those two to go with Andre? That would have been interesting. But uh, your defense, I mean, I think that getting after the quarterback affects the defense on the back end more than maybe a great safety. I don't know. Who knows? And the other thing is, the defense, although good in year one, middle of the pack, and they would have been ranked a lot higher with a better offense in year one for the Texans, started to drop off just year by year, started to drop off because those yeah. guys got older. They weren't able to replace them the way they wanted, and it just didn't work out. And T-Sizzle would have been that guy. Mark, appreciate you being here, my friend. Thank you very much. Thank you, Coming Johnny. up next, Drew Doherty and I go in the lab right here at Texans All Access. Welcome to Texans All Access. We are brought to you in part by AWS. Behind every incredible play are thousands of data points you might otherwise miss, such as a player's speed, field location, and movement patterns. The NFL uses AWS to process this large and complex data in real time. It's called Next Gen Stats, and with AWS machine learning and artificial intelligence technology, the NFL has developed ways to uncover deeper insights and expand the fan experience by offering a broader range of advanced stats and visualizations. Visit nextgenstats.nfl.com for all things stats. Next Gen Stats, powered by AWS. Now here's the show. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to a Wednesday edition of Texans All Access. Had a fun time with Mark in that first segment. Now it's time for me, John Harris, your host. Spent a little time with Drew Doherty and our In the Lab podcast. Man, we went kind of all over the place. It's all interconnected, but I don't know how we went from Nick Casario's press conference all the way to corners that we like in this draft. But we got there somehow. So here you go. Drew Doherty and myself going in the lab this week. We got a lot going on in uh, in Houston Texans land. Heard last week from Nick Casario. And Nick Casario had a, 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 a GM press conference like every other Houston Texans GM press conference I've ever seen for the most part in which he was asked many, many questions. And he was very... Uh, vague about what was coming up. Rick Smith did it. Bill O'Brien did it. I wasn't here before Rick Smith, but I'm sure um, 
Charlie Casserly to a degree did it. GMs don't say much this time of year. It's nothing new. It's going to continue on. And there's obviously a lot of questions surrounding uh, the quarterback of the team. And, you know, we can't talk about that really because of what's going on, but he couldn't either. He didn't either. And um, it was very, very, I guess, par for the course. Wouldn't you say so? I went, in with, no low, I went in with low expectations, you know, as far as <laughs> get, getting a lot of information. Yeah. And yeah. You know, he's supposed to do that, don't you think? I mean, I, I, I kind of thought that was how it would go, and it did. I think I would be a little bit disappointed if he had given us something, to be honest. Mm-hmm. I thought Scott Pioli, Scott Pioli told a great story. I don't know if you heard his story. He was on, I can't remember who, he was on somebody's podcast. And he was talking about Matt Light. You know, Scott Pioli used to be the Nick Casario for the Patriots before Nick Casario became Nick Casario. Scott Pioli was that guy. And in 2001, I think it was 2001, the Patriots were interested in making Matt Light their second round pick. And I think it was, they were at 51. So they called uh, Light. And they said, have you been talking to anybody? And he said, well, actually, I'm on the phone with the Jets right now. Well, the Jets had pick number 59, and the Patriots were 51. And Pioli was like, hang on. Told Belichick and the Patriots what was happening. They said, don't say anything about us calling you. And he was like, oh, okay, sure. The Patriots trade ahead of the Jets. (laughs) draft their cornerstone left tackle who protected Tom Brady for, you know, 10, 11 years or whatever it was. And away you go. And Pioli, you know, Pioli said it was one thing that we were able to do in New England that some of the teams can do, some of the teams can't. And that is you got to hold your water. You can't just blurt out what you're going to do. You can't make an information mistake. And Nick Casario, I'm sure, has been schooled very often. You cannot say anything in a press conference that doesn't get back to 31 other teams. Your scouts can't say anything on the road like, hey, yeah, man, we're looking at this super sleeper corner from Western Carolina. It, that's, going, that's going to get out. Even your presence at pro days and at uh, the combine, you know, who you interview. I mean, think of all the people that in Houston cover the team and say, oh, well, the Texans interviewed this particular rookie prospect. You and I both know that means diddly squat. Yeah, but, they, they've drafted many guys that they never yeah, talked to once. I, I can't yeah. remember which. I can't remember which one because it's I'll tell on, you one. like, but they've taken first rounders who have been very Kevin very, Johnson, right? Kevin yeah. Johnson. They met at. I I asked Kevin about this. We actually talked about this on and off the air. Kevin said they met at the combine, had their thirty minute conversation or whatever it was at the combine. That was it. He said they didn't talk to him again. Mm-hmm. and that might have been why it was a little bit of a surprise why Kevin was, was the first-round pick in 2015. There are certain spots in which, like, if the Jaguars went and had dinner with Trevor Lawrence, it would just be news. If the 49ers went and had dinner with Trevor Lawrence, all of a sudden it would be, okay, what does that mean? So there are different you know, levels yeah. of all of this. But after the press conference was over, Nick joined – Mark and I, and we had a, you know, a two-on-one you know, interview that we played last night on Texans All Access, and it was the same kind of thing. You know, he, gave us, he gave us a little bit more, but nothing that you could go, oh, okay, that means they're drafting this, yeah. or they're looking for this position. None of that. 
That's his so, job. That's his job right now. Exactly. Invasive when talking to the public. You know, he. The other, and, and, and Rick Smith was the same way. The only things yes. you knew you would get at that pre-draft press conference from Rick Smith were a. He would start out by saying, "I'm not going to give you guys anything." I mean, he made it a point <laughs> to say that. And yeah. he was trying to be helpful and to be courteous <laughs> yeah. by saying that. But then yeah. B, he always he always said with a smile, he's like, well, I used to be a defensive back, so you know yes. I always like to take a corner or two in the draft, which m- many times he did, sometimes right. he did not. But those were the only – and you, there are probably a few other things that I'm forgetting, but those were the two things with a Rick Smith press conference that you could bank on. And yes. Casario is kind of following in those same sort of footsteps as – you know, a lot of the good GMs have and do around the NFL. There's, there's nothing you're going to get from pre-draft interviews other than the media being able to ask the questions that they've been sitting on for a while. And obviously here lately, that's been the Deshaun question, but nobody in our building, no matter what they're doing in any way, shape or form, TV, radio, podcast, anything can say anything about, about Deshaun, a, we don't really want to be, we can't and see, there isn't anything that we can speak on. Yeah. So we, we can't do it. Uh, and so to your point about Rick, which I always thought was funny, he would talk about drafting a corner and, and once you have, you know, sort of a, a, a trend that has been acknowledged, not only by, you know, the people in your city, the media in your city, your fans uh, throughout the league, like, you know, you, you talk to various people around the league, scouts and people that know people and all that. And you go, oh, well, you know, such and such GM is drafting a lineman. They always draft linemen or they're looking for this. I guarantee you around the league, everybody's like, oh, yeah, you know, Rick's drafting the corner. And, and Rick knew it. And so he's like, yeah, I'm going to draft the corner. Okay. And then, and then he would. You just didn't know when. And that was obviously the, the, the biggest uh, question that with Nick, we don't know. We don't know whether – he really likes quarterbacks. Maybe he drafts two of them. I mean, maybe he doesn't like quarterbacks. Maybe he likes kickers. <laughs> maybe he drafts two of them. The, the point being, we, we don't know what sort of trends Nick is going to have in the draft, but GMs develop them. I, I can tell you without a shadow of a doubt, just in watching Chris Ballard draft, he's going to draft some twitched up athletic dudes on the offensive and defensive line at the linebacker positions. That's what he's, that's what he's looking for. And you know, when it comes to, you know, is he going to draft a, you know, a, a 335 pound guard who's a little sloppy? No, he's going to probably draft a 305 rocked up athlete um, because that's just, that's been the trend and you know, yeah. he's acknowledged it. He knows that's just part of what the, the Colts are, are looking for. So there are trends that GMs fall into just like there are coaches and play calling, just like there are players out on the field, you know, for Rick, it was one thing, Nick, we'll find out, we'll find out what it is. And I just, i love the fact that he just was like, look, I'm, you know, I'm not telling you anything without right. even, without even saying it. He didn't, you know, he'd answer, he'd answer the question without answering the question. And that's what he is supposed to do. It's kind of a dance in futility. Yes. You know, for both sides, but <laughs> yes, it's something that happens. Yes. It's something you, uh, you do every single year. All right. With that in mind, let's chit chat about defensive backs. You like, give me three total that you think are going to be around in the 67 range when the Texans are picking that you think would be nice fits, not just for this team, but really nice fits anywhere uh, at corner and safety. What do you see? Well, 
I, man, I think this corner class is very, very good. I think there are four guys that to me, you could really, if they're all healthy, and that's the key because one of them, the guy that, that would be number one on my board, and I bumped him down just because I actually had the same surgery he did. Now, I'm a lot older than he is, but it's taken me a while to come back from it. And I, I just don't know how quickly he's going to be able to get back. And that's Caleb Farley from Virginia Tech. He, he would be number one on my board. But the four are Caleb Farley, Patrick Sertan the second, Greg Newsom the second, and then maybe the most talented of the bunch is J.C. Horn. Uh, two NFL fathers uh, with Patrick Sertan, all pro corner, and then J.C. Horn, whose father, Joe Horn, was a wide receiver. Those four stand out. They're the cream. So they're, they're, in, a, they're in tier one. I think those guys are all first-rounders. I think at the back end of the first round, you could, again, another NFL, uh, NFL uh, former player's son, Asante Samuel Jr. Now. I would love to see him available for us because, you know, Asante Samuel Sr. was drafted by the New England Patriots. Yes. yes. Um, so there is obviously some recognition with Nick and obviously Bill Belichick drafted him many, many years ago. Asante Samuel, a little smaller than his dad, but I went in thinking, okay, son of a, fa- son of a former NFL player. Eh, let's see. Boy, I came out of there really loving Asante Samuel Jr. Eric Stokes, Tyson Campbell, both from Georgia, I think could be there at 67, like both of them. They've been Campbell, a little bit to the Texans by a few mock drafts. Yes, so. yes, I could see both. Either one of them would be, I, I think, a fantastic pick at 67. Let me give you one that I will be brutally honest. I love this brother, but his brother just didn't pan out. Now, his brother was a safety, and his brother actually played for the Patriots for a little bit. It just didn't come together, and I, and I don't know why. But when I watch the younger brother, Ifiatu Melifanwu mm. from Syracuse, the corner, when I went to the Senior Bowl, I was very intrigued by watching him at the Senior Bowl. And when I left the Senior Bowl, I was kind of confused. I was like, I can't – dang it, I can't – I can't figure out whether I really like him because there's a tendency – you know, for me to when you've seen a, a younger brother, older brother, whatever, you know, you see the older brother and you're like, why did that guy fail? I know they're brothers. They can be totally different. But a lot of times it's the other way. It's like, oh, that guy was a success. This guy's going to be a success. Mm-hmm. This brother was great. This brother's going to be great, too. And it doesn't always happen that way. Well, Obi Melifon, who was a safety at UConn, was an athletic freakazoid. And I was like, that's got to translate. And then it just never came together. Find out, okay, why? And then you realize, you know, he wasn't a guy that loved football, that loved everything that went with it, apparently. And you thought, okay, well, maybe his brother's wound the same way. And they try to play him at corner. And I'm like, man, big corners. You know, we've seen Lonnie Johnson go from corner to safety. Like, man, you had a big, bigger corner, 205-pound, almost 6'3 corner. Man, you got to be able to move. you got to be able to slide your feet and run. So I came back from the senior bowl and I put him up on my list to say, this is a guy you got to watch. Okay. So about two weeks ago, I'm getting near the end of my second revision. He's just staring me in the face. If you have to Melfon got to study him I'm like, all right, got to study him. Okay. Let's dive in, flip on, go back and watch every single, every single one-on-one senior bowl rep. And I remember the very first one I pull up and I'm like, 
Those feet are fantastic. Then I pull up a couple of games and I'm watching him games and watching him break on the ball and I'm watching him move and watching him in one-on-one coverage and watching him, you know, uh, break on the football from depth, play press, play off, play zone. And I'm like, man, I really like this guy. I ended up slotting my thing like 58, 59, which is about the spot maybe that you, you know, you know, Justin Reed, I had it 44, I think. And he ended up going to 67. Um, you know, Titus, I had it like 40-something. He ended up going to 23. You just never know with these things. But if you have to Melfonwu from out of Syracuse, um, I think at, at 67 would be a bang-up pick. You got a few others after that. Robert Rochelle from Central Arkansas. I called a couple of games when he – younger, when he was um, mm-hmm. freshman, Central Arkansas, can absolutely fly. He is a freak, but techniques all over the place. He's got, he's got some growing to do. Um, I think he's a guy to watch later rounds. And here's Aaron Robinson from UCF. He's not a guy I love like some other people, but he could play the nickel spot. He could play an outside zone corner. I think he could do that. Two other guys in the Harris 100, Marco Wilson from Florida. A lot of people remember for the cleat throw against LSU. He is wildly talented. If you can rein that in, he's going to end up being one way of a player. And another guy that's kind of been off the radar screen just because of injury, COVID opt-out, whatever, is Paulson Adebo from Stanford. 6'1", almost 200 pounds, big, thick, strong corner. And he just hasn't played a ton of football because of opt-outs and because of injuries. So I think once you get to the Campbell, Stokes, Melifanu area, in that direction, I think you can end up finding a corner that makes a lot of sense at number 67 for sure. Interesting indeed. All right, go check out the Harris 100. Go check out on HoustonTexans.com also the success stories at 212-203-195 because there have been players taken in NFL history where the Texans are picking that have really come up big and done great things in their career. Like the latest one I did was uh, pick 195 or 158, and Good. Jay Novacek got taken by the St. Louis oh. Cardinals. Yeah. At, uh, 85, 86, around 85, 86 draft. He had been, I don't know if you remember this, you probably do because you know everything, but at the University of Wyoming, he wasn't mm-hmm. just a great football player for them. They, they ran the ball most of the time, but he was a good t- uh, pass catcher. He was also a decathlete, and he's like, he had set school records in the decathlon. Yeah. There for Wyoming. So started his career with the Cardinals and was a plan B free agent, which that whole thing. I remember that. Cowboys snapped him up in 1990. They had a losing season, but they made a jump from the one win season of of 1989. And then from 91 through 95, they were playoff teams. They won three Super Bowls. They played in an NFC title game. Novacek was a big, big part of all that. He was a real you know, just safety outlet for Troy Aikman, who, uh, you know, as we all know, is a Hall of Famer. You know, one of the things that I've done, Drew, is I've gone through and I've taken the Harris 100. It's turned into Harris 250. I think I'm almost to 260 now. Uh-huh. And I've probably got another 150 or so I could put in there, but I kind of stopped at 250 something because that's where the end of the draft is. And so you mentioned pick number 158. So if we went by just the Harris 100, mm-hmm. pick number 67 would be safety from indiana ball hawk jamar johnson from indiana i'd be very very good with that pick our next pick is 109 correct yep that pick would be an outside linebacker charles snowden now i don't think the texans would take him 
because I do think he would end up being more three, four outside linebacker, but he could play a, a stack off ball position, almost six, seven, 235 pounds. Very interesting player. Our next pick is 158, right? Yep. Harris 250 would say Isaiah McDuffie, linebacker from Boston College, who I think would be a great fit. He reminds me a little bit, actually, of KPL, Kevin Pierre-Lewis, who the Texans already have. But out of Boston College, he's a whale of a player uh, at will linebacker. Um, you say 195? Is that another one of our picks? Uh, wait, you just threw me off there a second because I think we missed one. It is... 67, 109, 147, and then 158 from the Patriots, okay. 195 from the Patriots, 203, okay. that's from Miami, 212 is from the Saints, uh-huh. 233 from Cincinnati. So the first three picks, round three, round four, round five, those are the Texans' original picks. Everything yep. from uh, the fifth rounder from the Pats on through the seventh, all via trade with others' teams. So yeah. they dealt away theirs, and they've got their third, their fourth, and their fifth as well as they dealt away the first and second, but that was back in the uh, Laramie Tunsil, Kenny Stills deal. So. Yeah. You mentioned 147. This actually would be a really fun player I have ranked here, and that's Wyatt Hubert from my K-State defensive end who is a house of fire. He's got some twitch, good pass rush moves. He is fun to watch. When, you, when I first saw him, I was like, hey, guys, he's a tiny guy. Then you see him up close and you're like, no, 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 he's not tiny. He's six, almost 6'3", 265, and was one of the better pass rushers. Perfect. Uh, in, then I could see him playing in, a, in a, our 4'3", but Lovey Smith wants to run. He would be a really good fit. So pick 147, if it follows the Harris 250, Wyatt Hubert would end up being a pick at 147, which would be kind of fun. House of Fire from Kansas State. That sounds like another guy who's a House of Fire from Kansas State that works in the building with us and Gavin. Yeah, so of course, um, yeah, you can't have too many House of Fires from Kansas State. <laughs> exactly. UG G squared himself. But uh, yeah. hey, John, always fun talking with you, and we'll do it again next week. It's gonna be draft week then. Can't wait. Oh, that'll be fun, man. Looking forward to it. Thank you, Drew. Yes, sir. Thank you, Drew. Boy, it's fun doing that podcast. We've been doing that now for about three or four years. And it is, it's fun. I really love having the opportunity to chop it up with Drew. And I think our ultimate draft we did a few weekends back or a few weeks back that we broke up into four parts, that was as fun a thing as we've ever done together in the lab and, and anything else. It was a blast. But that was a fun time. Talking about the draft, and it is eight days away. Man, I cannot believe it. One week from tonight. I'll be doing the show and then getting ready for the next day being the draft. Yes, the Texans don't draft on Thursday, I understand. But still, I'll be on the air the entire time and looking forward to it. Going to be a cast of characters with me. I know Mark Vandermeer and a number of others, so looking forward to that. So you're going to keep it locked in here at Sports Radio 610. We'll have it all for you right here. Now, there's plenty of stuff going on around the league, including some rules changes and a voice crack that I just gave you that you'll absolutely love. We'll hit those rule changes, not the voice crack, next, right here on Texans All Access. On Texans All Access. On Texans All Access. Welcome to Texans All Access. We are brought to you in part by Apache Corporation. Nearly 3 billion people worldwide live in energy poverty, meaning they lack access to reliable electricity or clean cooking fuels. The natural gas and oil produced by companies like Apache Corporation help power cleaner electricity, enable access to food, education, and healthcare, and connect us to those we love. 
We are committed to providing the energy the world needs and to elevating families across the globe to higher standards of living. Learn more at ApacheCorp.com. That's ApacheCorp.com. Now here's the show. We got one final segment of this edition of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. I'm your host, John Harris. Glad you are with me this evening. Today was a big day as it pertains to rules and jerseys. I don't know which one you want first, but I got a feeling jerseys was the one change. The jersey change was the one that probably was spoken about most on Twitter, in particular with the players. What it all means. Now, this was proposed by the Kansas City Chiefs. And I know some people are like, ah, BFD. Who cares? Now, here's the rule. Running backs, defensive backs, I'm sorry, defensive backs can wear numbers 1 through 49. Running backs, fullbacks, tight ends, H-backs, and wide receivers, 1 through 49, and 80 through 89. Linebackers, 1 through 59, and 90 through 99. Offensive alignment, defensive alignment didn't change. Those are the ones that didn't change at all. So you're about to see a lot of defensive ends that are going to want to be outside linebackers. Like Chase Young, Washington football team defensive end, clearly defensive end. He may want to be an outside linebacker so he can go wear number two like he wore in college at Ohio State. Maybe not. Who knows? I know you're thinking, what's the big deal? Well, in the NFL, it was a lot easier to ID players based on their numbers as opposed to what you thought they might be. For example, if a guy was wearing a 40 number and he was kind of near the box, you knew that was in box safety. Like Dan Sorensen from the Chiefs, he wears number 49. You knew that way back in the day, 49 applied to just safeties. Then they changed it, allowed linebackers to wear 40. Then it got a little bit more complicated. It's going to get even more complicated when you get linebackers that are coming to the league. And I saw Jaquiz Rogers, former Mark Solidated, great, played at Oregon State, was a legend at Oregon State, played in the NFL. He said, yeah, this jersey change is great until running backs got to try and ID a linebacker, essentially, in a particular pass protection. And he can't ID him by the number because he doesn't know if he's a linebacker, if he's a safety, or what. So this one benefits... The it benefits the defense in some sense, it benefits the offense in another. So it's not, I think, made for aesthetics as much as it's there's some reason the Chiefs wanted this because the Chiefs are the ones that put it that way. And if the Chiefs are proposing it, I'm thinking it has something to do with offense. But there is the downside to the jer- jersey change that I just mentioned, as Quiz pointed out. Man, you're a running back, you got to try and ID who's a safety, who's a linebacker who's a defensive end, who's an outside linebacker, that gets very, very tricky. But I did see a lot of players there saying, hey, look, give me that new number. Now, apparently the changes may not take place this year because of a financial issue. Here's what I mean. There are people already that are out there buying particular jerseys. Let's take Odell Beckham Jr. for instance. He wears number 13. In college, he wore number three. If he wants to change to number three, he basically has to buy up all of the number 13 jerseys out there and then he can wear the number three or he can just do it next year 
when they haven't produced uh, any number 13 jerseys because he is moving to number three. There's a financial component. For guys that sell a lot of jerseys, it can be pretty expensive for some. It may not be a big deal. We'll see. But rule changes. You're going to see a lot of single-digit big dudes, as in outside linebackers, you know, wearing number 12. But you'll see a lot of carryover from college, too, which should help some people like me who have got accustomed to seeing them at a particular jersey number and hopefully they stay in that jersey number. But we'll see how this changes things going forward. May not be air shattering to a lot of people, but I know for the players, they were very, very excited, especially the perimeter slash skill players to see this one go through. There are some others as well that went through, but nothing as earth shattering as the jersey changes that will be taking place in defensive backfield, uh, at the linebacker position, and of course at running back, fullback, tight end, and wide receiver as well. Big thanks to Mark, to Drew, to all of you for listening. Thank you so much. We'll see you next time. And as always, go Texans.